Hey folks, I have an announcement before we get into tonight's episode. If you are a Maine trapper or you've trapped in Maine or you're interested in Maine trapping, the Maine Department of Inland Fisheries and Wildlife, which manages all of the fur bear species in the state, is going through a species planning process for fur bears. As part of that process, that's going to determine what's well, going to help guide how the state manages fur bear populations over the next 15 or so years. And uh, as part of that process, they are seeking public input. So this is going to come from basically whoever wants to provide input. That could be average everyday people that don't know what trapping is. It could be trappers or it could be animal rights activists or anti-trappers. So <clears throat> it is uh, important if you're interested in trapping in Maine to uh, maybe have your voice heard on your opinions and thoughts. So there are two ways that you can provide uh, public input uh, throughout this process. One is mainfurbearforum.org. That is a website that they've set up to uh, collect public comments. That's mainfurbearer, F-U-R-B-E-A-R-E-R, forum, F-O-R-U-M dot O-R-G. And in that forum, you can provide comments on general fur bear management issues, hunting and trapping issues, and nuisance wildlife issues. Uh, so there's there's lots going on there that you can take part in. And they're having a series of public meetings. So if you are listening to this as it comes out, these are coming up very shortly. They may have already passed. Uh, Tuesday, December 3rd at 6.30 p.m. in Portland, Maine, at the Fireside Inn & Suites, 81 Riverside Street, Portland. Uh, that is going to be a public meeting. Uh, <clears throat> in Orono, the same night, Tuesday, December 3rd, 6.30 p.m. at the Black Bear Inn, for Godfrey Drive in Orono. The next night, Wednesday, December 4th, in Augusta, at the Augusta Civic Center, 6.30 p.m., and in Presque Isle, Maine, at the North Eastland Hotel, uh, Thursday, December 5th at 6.30 p.m., there's going to be a meeting there as well. And this is basically just going to be a pretty low-key meeting. It's uh, just a chance for people to uh, provide comments and ask questions of the department and just uh, provide your input. And they're going to use this input to uh, to help guide management. So, pretty important part of the process. If you have the opportunity, uh, I encourage you to show up there. And uh, if not, then go on that main fur bear forum and provide some comments. So, thanks very much, and let's get into tonight's episode. One year, I kind of got an idea. You know, I want to try trap. I like to trap. I like to make lure, and I like to write. Where can it go? Here. I would be able to spend more time in the woods. I was losing money hand over fish trapping, but I didn't care. Getting the traps out there is the hardest part, I think, with them. I would leave the critters in the back of my truck in the high school parking lot. We're going to set traps, like, no matter what. Some of these guys have trapped these areas for generations. That's through the fur boom. Thank God. This is northern Michigan. This is what you do. Represent data trappers in a positive light. I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know everything? This will be fun. Trying to learn something from these legends. Ask questions without asking questions. Volumes of Perfect and Game magazine. Instruction from Perigo Gorman. Perp Lennon's articles, the Perp Lennon ads. Two information, trapping radios. We are trappers on ourselves. To me, that's pretty important. All right, everybody listening to me? Develop a system yet that's working ahead of time to build big trapping. If you got very bullshit sand and dirt, you got bog trap. They start talking about these big fans. Most of my tunes are coming from up top, not down bottom. Probably the best part of the country in the world. I don't get any better. Trying to set predator trash and trash waders. The back of that beaver looks like a sheer. You better edit this part out. Yeah, we better. Back in the fur shed, this is the Trapping Today podcast. I am Jeremiah Wood, and I'm happy to be here. It's great to have you guys as well. Thanks for listening in. The podcast is brought to you by Cots Brothers Lures, K-A-A-T-Z-B-R-O-S dot com. Trap smarter, work harder, enjoy the success that follows. Kyle and Kellen Cots run Cots Bros, and they have a full line of trapping supplies. They also have baits and lures, books and DVDs, everything you get going. So get over to Cots Bros, check them out, and thank them for supporting the podcast. 
It's also brought to you by Fur Harvesters Auction, where the world comes to buy wild fur. You can find them at furharvesters.com. Fur Harvesters is the remaining auction company after NAFA uh, went bankrupt. And so uh, we're going to see a lot more fur handled through FHA this year and very excited. They are taking on a bunch of uh, new areas and facilities and new routes. So stay tuned. Go to furharvesters.com to learn more. And uh, a great place to sell wild fur. Those guys work really hard. They are trappers. They know what it's like to try and get your fur sold. And so they work, uh, they work hard to get it sold at the best possible price. Thanks, Fur Harvesters, for sponsoring the podcast. In tonight's episode, we are going to go into coyote trapping a little bit more. We're going to tear off of the last episode I did on uh, the the changes and, you know, the things that I've learned coyote trapping then and now, you know, from like 15 years ago, 17, 18 years ago, coyote trapping to uh, today. And this year, I, I just finished up my first coyote line in a long time, uh, just recently. So that was a really good learning experience and got to uh, go into a lot of different things and had a lot of fun. And like I said before, I only trapped for about uh, nine or 10 days. I caught nine coyotes. And with the prices this year, uh, that did more than cover the gas, I think, as long as that coyote market holds up, as long as we don't see a crash there in that fashion trend, uh, we should be in pretty good shape and should uh, do more than cover the gas and maybe make up for some of the money I've been losing on Martin and Fisher trapping. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but more on that later, I guess. So just uh, I just wrote down some things to that I that I kind of uh, thought about in terms of kind of thinking back to this coyote line. And I should have probably done this a little earlier. Every single day that goes by, I forget a little bit, forget a little here, forget a little there. And sometimes it's nice to just, while things are fresh in your mind, to to really get into them and so you remember all the details. But yeah, the the logistics of the coyote trapping in northern Maine. So we have an early fox and coyote season that usually starts around the third week of October here. Our coyote, uh, actually, believe it or not, they do prime up relatively early. They're one of the earlier critters to prime up, and they... You know, by mid-October, you get a, you start to get a pretty decent coyote pelt. And the, the real primary reason for this early season, there's a couple of things going on here, but we have such challenging conditions here in northern Maine because we have a combination of the cold weather that the boys out west get, you know, in Montana and the Dakotas. We get the cold weather, but we have the moisture that they don't have. And so that combination of cold weather and moisture results in early snowstorms, rain and freeze, freeze-thaw, constant freeze-thaw conditions. And typically by, by the 1st of November, there's probably a 50-50 chance you're going to be able to set out a coyote line and have it be somewhat effective. Um, however, in the, from about the 15th of October to the 1st of November, you have a window there where it's usually warm enough that you don't have as much freezing. And when you do get precipitation, it's in the form of rain and not a foot of snow. Like early November, you get a big storm coming in. If it's cold enough, you could get uh, a foot or two of snow. I mean, right now it's November 23rd as I record this. I know I'm recording this one a little early, but there is uh, a foot of snow on the ground right now. I'm riding, I've been riding snowmobile for over a week. Um, today is Saturday. Last Sunday, I ran my traps with snowmobile. So, you know, 15th of November, and we're, we're running snowmobile in, in the backcountry. And it's just, you know, there's, last winter was the same way. Uh, 10th, 10th of November, we had two and a half feet of snow. And I ran traps on snowmobile. So you, when you have two and a half feet of snow, it's not very effective coyote trapping. So that early season, we get about a 10 to 14 day window where the weather's right. And the other big factor is deer season. Deer hunting season does not open until around the last Saturday of October or first Saturday of November. So it gives us coyote trappers a window before the deer hunters hit the woods. And that's a big deal because 
when you get all that activity in the woods, if you try to run a halfway long line or you're not getting your traps checked in the dark, you run the risk of getting your animals shot up, you get animals stolen, you get traps stolen. Um, there's just all kind. Of, there's a lot of hunters, believe it or not, in the woods that have no idea what a trap is and haven't seen one before. I've seen hunters come in and uh, report that they'll report illegal activity, report a coyote was caught in an illegal snare, and it turns out it was a legally set trap. So, uh, and they shot the coyote to put it out of its misery, quote unquote. And uh, the guy actually got in a little trouble for harassing and messing with a guy's trap and messing with an animal in a guy's trap. So those things just kind of, there's less opportunity for those problems to occur in the early season before deer season starts. Now what we do have in this area now recently is bird hunting. We have rough grouse here and every year this this grouse hunting gains popularity and it grows every single year we get more and more bird hunters coming up uh, to hunt in northern Maine. Um, I did have a dog caught in one of my traps this year believe it or not and it was uh, a bird dog it was a Brittany I guess I I just heard this uh, second hand and it was caught in an MB 550 in a flat set I had at the end of a road some bird hunters from out of state had had come in there and let the dog out of the truck and dog was milling around while they were getting stuff ready I guess and he went investigated the set and got caught and he got they got out uh, not a not even a sore paw not even a limp so that was good to hear but a little bit frustrating because um, you know you, you're you have that to deal with in addition to the other things so well, we're primarily trapping on private land that is open to all members of the public here so we unless you have a bunch of most of our private like farmland that is not open to the public is very small parcels and a lot of it is absentee landowners so getting permission uh, can be a chore and it can be very difficult and not very feasible but we got these millions of acres of private timberland that's open to the public so uh, we just have to compete with other resource users and try to work together as best as we can so that's kind of a little bit of the logistics, the the timing of the season, and why it's kind of run and gun for these 10 to 14 days before the weather sets in and before deer hunting season starts. Um, let's talk a little bit about location and scouting. So one of the things that I was determined to do ahead of time this year was to scout and to locate all of my areas uh, pre-season. And I did a lot of that. I spent I spent a few days going out and scouting. Interestingly, it was it was very revealing. I had a ton of coyote sign. I was I was just shocked at how much coyote sign was out there. I know there's a lot of coyotes in the woods up here, but uh, when you're actually looking for sign, it tends to pop out more at you. And I had the opportunity to see a lot of scat, a lot of droppings. Uh, a few situations where I was out uh, a few days after a rain I could see tra- tracks in uh, mud puddles and stuff and on the edges of the, the road and it's kind of the soft mud and it was it was really good to know that I was on coyotes and there were a few areas actually that did not have any sign and that was also good to know good affirmation that hey you know you were on sign earlier now you're not on sign so you're not just you know if I was seeing sign everywhere that might give me a little pause like well maybe this sign isn't all doesn't all mean that I'm going to catch a bunch of coyotes here if I'm seeing it everywhere maybe it's just sticking around for a long time or whatever but uh, th- there there were some areas without sign actually believe it or not I had one area on the line where I went like three miles without seeing a single coyote dropping or any any type of sign that was kind of surprising and and I so I did not set a single trap in those three miles I just skipped over it however when the season started and I started checking traps all of a sudden in that three mile stretch I started seeing coyote droppings coyote dropping here coyote dropping there coyote dropping over there let okay well (laughs) I guess I probably could have uh, made some sets there and still done okay but but I was glad that I had set on sign early on a location I usually tried to make my sets within a reasonable distance of sign 
meaning a quarter mile or less. Some places where I was a little over a quarter mile from sign, I actually did not see. I did not catch coyotes in those traps that I can uh, remember. Changes. Changes between the time that you go out and scout and get your locations ready to the time the season opens. And I was doing this within two, three weeks of the season starting. I went out a month ahead of time and then I, I went out a few times after that. Number one, I had road system that I had everything figured out that I was going to set it and I was good to go and I had my locations picked out and I started even uh, pounding in uh, earth anchors and all that. I came back a week before the season started and the timber company had gone in and graded every single road in that road system. There was, uh, oh, 10 or 15 miles of road that they had run fresh grader on. Uh, the few spots where I had put my earth anchors in, I couldn't find them anymore. Um, and the all the sign was gone, and I wasn't really sure if the coyotes were still hanging around there because I didn't see any fresh sign. So I was discouraged. Another road system that I had uh, previously identified, I went in there and a f logging operation just had gotten started there a week before the coyote trapping season started. So there was a skitter, a skitter, a few other machines, log trucks, everything was going back and forth and I just did not want to deal with all the traffic and all the activity going on even though there were coyotes and there still are coyotes in there. So those were changes. So basically that goes to the idea of you need to have way more sets, locations picked out ahead of the season than you're actually going to be able to set because you're going to have situations like that where you need to be able to up and move when something doesn't work out or something changes. The other thing is if you, you may set a line out of a couple dozen traps or whatever then completely pull that line after a week and go set in a new area. I actually did not do that, and my catch did tail off a little bit toward the end because of that, but I, I because of having a full-time job and limited amount of time and no days off during that period, I didn't have the opportunity to pull and remake sets as uh, in, in the way that I, I would have liked to have done. And By the time I did have that opportunity, it was late enough that I... I decided it wasn't going to be worth the effort of doing so. But that's an option you could have um, if you get your preseason work done ahead of time. Another big thing to pay attention to, the week before our opener of coyote trapping season, there was a moose hunt in uh, the zones that I was trapping in. And when you have a major hunt like that and you have a number of different animal, animals being harvested in an area, you're going to have da, 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 gut piles. And when you have gut piles, you have coyotes uh, cleaning up gut piles and going to the gut piles. And so I noticed a huge shift in coyote activity as a result of the hunt. And I had places that I had scouted out ahead of time because I'd seen plenty of sign. And I went back, and there was no fresh sign. There were places that I had driven by and had very little to no sign, and there was all kinds of coyote sign. And one of them, there was a, a gut pile right on the road that had been cleaned up within a few days. There was nothing there, but you could see the blood stains and a few little bits and pieces of it. And the other one, you could smell where the gut pile was, or you could, there was a clear cut and from the road when the wind was blowing in my direction I could smell that an animal had had been killed there and so and there was tons and tons of coyote sign there as well so those were places that um, I actually ended up moving locations and setting on those areas so in some cases it, it pays to uh, scout ahead of time and have your locations set up but it also can backfire on you so you do still need to be there like a few days ahead of the season to do your final scouting and to verify that the coyotes are still there and to uh, hit and locate those areas where coyotes have moved into uh, because of uh, whatever recent developments have taken place. All that being said, it was really good to be prepared ahead of time and have all my earth anchors pounded in the ground 
uh, the day before the season, I went through and had finished up pounding earth anchors, digging trap beds, digging dirt holes where I need dirt holes, and doing all that sort of thing. And so when the season started, opening day, I was up at the crack of dawn, and I was able to run through and make sets all day long. I set, I believe I set three dozen traps, somewhere around that. Uh, I might have set 30 opening day and then finished up. I can't remember. But anyway, I, I, by the time it was said and done, I had, I had three dozen traps out. And it was, I pretty much got them all set the first day. And it was because everything was kind of prepared ahead of time. The uh, sets were a mixture of, of flat sets and dirt hole sets, probably about 50-50. Uh, like I mentioned before, the there was huge challenges in terms of getting the earth anchors in the ground, getting holes dug at the sets and all that. So that was challenging. Uh, trap beds, um, trap bedding. That was something I didn't mention last episode, but I've learned. I learned a great deal about it, and I, I gained a lot of experience. So that was probably one of my weaknesses when I was younger, just starting trapping, was getting a solidly bedded trap. And I tell a lot of new people who ask for advice, that is the absolute 100% most important thing, in my opinion, when you're coyote trapping, is have a rock-solid bedded trap that is not going to move when a animal steps on one of the jaws or steps on a lever or whatever they we don't want them to know there's anything there so that is that is something I worked on a lot and ahead of the season I made tons and tons of mock sets in the yard and in the backyard and the driveway and and dug out trap beds and pounded in earth anchors and made made sets and bedded traps my personal opinion on trap bedding is it's the way that I have developed that I do it is probably different than other people. I know some people like to get a bedding of soft dirt and wiggle the trap in there. I like to dig the trap bed in such a way that it allows for a solidly bedded trap and you almost don't even have to cover that trap with anything. Um, the, The dirt that you pack along the outside of the jaws helps to complete the making that trap solidly bedded but uh, if you dig your trap bed correctly and I've through trial and error I've kind of learned how to do this and you want more of like a bowl shaped trap bed and you want to have a lot of airspace underneath the center of that trap especially if you're using traps like I have with uh, center swivels you're going to have to have room for that swivel and the chain uh, that's at the center of the base plate so dig that bowl-shaped trap bed and don't dig the bed much wider than the dimensions of the trap. And when you do that and you get the shape right, you, you're going to have some adjustments to do. You're going to have to uh, claw out with your hammer a little bit here and there, make, uh, make the levers just right and all that. But if you can dig your trap bed right, you're going to be able to bed traps quickly and solidly and have a great deal of confidence by the end of it, I, I had a very high level of confidence that my my traps were rock bedded rock solid. And that is a big deal. you got to do that. And if you don't have your traps bedded solid, you're going to have uh, traps that are flipped upside down, flipped over, uh, tripped, uh, set off, and all, all that stuff, and it's not going to be good. I had almost no traps actually set off. Um, and flipped over by animals. So uh, that's an indicator, I think, that that the bedding techniques worked. Um, I did have a couple uh, um, where that happened. Uh, I had a few traps set off in the bed where I think there was just rain and dirt and too much weight on top of the trap pan resulted in the trap firing. Um, I had one instance that I can think of where an animal did dig the trap out of the bed, and I'm not sure what happened there. I had one instance where the trap was pulled, was set off and pulled to the end of the chain. Nothing was there. I actually think that was a bear that that set the trap off and, and got a toe caught and pulled out. I But I, I really didn't have enough sign to know for sure. Um, so so there's a few of those, but very few, and I, I attribute that low number to 
uh, solid trapping and good good pan tension which we may get into here um, dirt that's actually used at the set you can do a variety of things you know wax dirt is ideal for uh, freezing conditions and for heavy rain conditions if you want you can start with dry dirt and then transition to wax dirt uh, most cases our weather is so unpredictable that a guy's probably better off just starting out with wax dirt even though it's more expensive and time consuming to make um, if you get enough of it ahead of time which I didn't do you can uh, just start out just use wax dirt everywhere it's it's like magic it just works so so well it's incredible now uh, Kellen Cotts in the black book of coyote trapping talks about wax dirt he recommends that you get I think he said about half a gallon per set he said it sounds like overkill but trust me you're gonna be happy that you have extra and he's absolutely right I think I was doing I do a five gallon pail of wax dirt uh, or just regular dirt whatever I happen to use and I could get about a dozen sets done with that and so um, and I, I wasn't too stingy I didn't use a lot of dirt on site the reason being we we were on I was on gravel roads with basically gravel and shale and just really hard rock and so when you dig out a trap bed, there's not a whole lot left there that you dug out that you can actually use um, in the trap. So you do have to add a lot of dirt. So I was using a lot of wax, a lot of dirt in general, and I did run out of wax dirt. Um, my goal next year is to make so much that I could not possibly run out. But I did run out this year, and that's uh, that was a failure of mine, something to uh, to correct in the future. Pan covers. Let's talk about pan covers. Um, I tried a few different things, and I don't know where I'm going to end up with this, but I started with the aluminum screen, wire screen pan covers. Uh, those work pretty good. You have to, there's a few things you have to do. Uh, I got mine from Cots Bros, and they, when they sell them, they actually cut the notches out ahead of time for you to slide that over the dog of the trap. So, uh, or to put the dog through. So if you have a dog trap, it, it makes it easy there, um, especially like the MB550s. You have to bend those and crease them ahead of time so that you don't have them kind of bubble up and push up over the top of the trap. Um, even doing that, I had issues with them. I had a hard time even bending them. I had a hard time getting that pan cover tucked in and get it under the loose jaw and not have some sort of a rounded bubbly shape there at the trap and even where I had them tucked in tight it seemed like I needed a lot of dirt to get that all covered up and when I used a lot of dirt I ended up having issues with uh, with that dirt getting waterlogged and trap not firing when the animal stepped on the pan I had many instances with paw prints directly on the pan of the trap and no fire um, so that was incredibly frustrating so uh, I'm sure that there are ways that people do that that are better than what I did um, I'm sure there are ways to, to keep those pan covers uh, make those pan covers act right act the way you want to but even where I did have them acting right I actually did have I think two of them that were dug up um, I kind of tend to think that that was birds uh, based on just my observations there there were no animal tracks there uh, no coyote or fox tracks or coons but I and, and I and the traps weren't dug up but just the dirt above them and the pans were exposed so and I actually had some that did not have pan covers and still get that that dug up and I think what was happening is there was uh, blending issues that's another thing I want to talk about and the birds were kind of seeing that soft fresh dirt and they they wanted to dust in that and kind of kicked up that dirt and oh what's this and kicked the pan cover up out of the out of the trap pattern uh, so so but but still then that what that meant is you had in a trap that was not functioning necessarily with a, a pan cover sitting there out in the open um, I did uh, I did have some cases I tried some different things I tried polyfill underneath the pan in no pan cover 
that actually seemed to work pretty good. Um, it required a little bit more dirt. It did allow you to get inside the jaws to pack dirt, but again, I said, like I said, the way I make my trap beds, I didn't really need to pack dirt inside the jaws. It didn't seem to be uh, or a necessity to get my traps bedded nicely. Um, but the the polyfill was nice in the sense that I didn't have to worry about a pan cover, and I could just sift dirt over that, and I was good to go. I know guys like Mark June uh, only uses polyfill and, and really swears by it. He's a very effective trapper, one of the best. What I don't like about that is your trap pattern, your area where the animal has to step in order to fire the trap is very small. When you have a pan cover spanning the entire inside of the jaws uh, and the animal steps on that pan cover, it will oftentimes cause the trap to fire, usually will, if it's a wire screen pan cover, and uh, you'll get that animal even though it didn't step directly on the pan. So what's the answer here? Um, I don't know what the answer is for sure, uh, but I am moving in the direction of big pans, uh, oversized pans, for the reasons I just mentioned. And I did try Mike Kelly from Wild River Traps, makes an expanded pan for the MB550 and I used those. I really did like those. They worked really well. I wish they had a little bit more surface area um, but they're a simple pan and economical. Um, they're not, you know, the perfect pan I would think would be like Chip Davis's expanded pan for this situation uh, but but mics are only like I think like a dollar a piece, dollar fifty a piece compared to three or four dollars and they they did considerably expand the uh, inside area, the, the catch area of the pan. And what I did with Mike's pans on the MB550s is I did not use any pan cover or polyfill whatsoever. And so I just sifted dirt over top of them. And I never had an instance, and I only did that on half a dozen of the 550s, so I can't, I don't have a large enough sample size to make conclusions yet, but I can say that I caught uh, two or three coyotes on on Mike's traps, Mike's pans, and I did not have um, any that I can think of right now where of those pan traps, those Wild River pan on traps, where an animal stepped over the trap, over the pan, and the pit trap did not fire. So, uh, so they were effective in that sense for sure. Um, the other thing with the 550s, the pan is a pretty low profile, so there's not a lot of room for the dirt to get in underneath the pan uh, as well, so that, that does help. The, though, so that's pan covers. I'll do an episode on pan covers in the future. There's a lot of other options. Uh, some I have tried, most many I have not, um, but, but yeah, we'll get into it. Flat sets versus dirt hole sets. I did about 50-50 flat versus dirt hole. Um, the advantage of the flat set is you could make sets in areas where you can't get a hole dug. <clears throat> you can also take advantage of coyote habits uh, where uh, you can be very target specific, only target coyotes. If you just have a little bit of lure smeared on a rock and some urine, um, you don't necessarily have as much drawing power as a bait would have in a lot of cases. However, when an animal does investigate that rock, uh, it, it's likely going to be a coyote and uh, um, that's going to be caught there, potentially a fox. But um, you're very target specific and you don't have bears setting them off like we have in northern Maine and you don't have uh, your, your fisher or marten or uh, coons or other critters that getting into those flat sets or skunks or possums. So those are good, but the flat set, usually they're coming in, they're walking through, um, lift leg, pee a little bit, smell the, the lure a little bit, and continue on. So in a lot of cases, the flat set is quick, and you're not necessarily going to have an animal work it. The advantage of the dirt hole is the animal has to work to get the bait out of the hole, and it spends more time at the set, typically, and it's going to put its foot down many more times. And every time its foot gets pressed down uh, in the area of the trap pattern is another chance to get caught. Where I was, I had such difficulty 
with these dirt hole sets because I could not dig a deep hole. And I know you want an 8, 10 inch hole, deep hole if you can at least, uh, maybe more. You couldn't use a trowel in this stuff. I had the, I bought the auger, John Chagnon's uh, for PCS Outdoors, that earth auger that you can attach to a cordless drill. Worked awesome at home on the farm where we had actually dirt and sod. And I took it out in the woods on the gravel roads and you could not get a hole dug, uh, as you might expect. So I was just pounding and pounding at the rocks and pounding and pounding and pounding with my um, trap line hammer uh, to make these holes. And so we had a shallow holes where I did use bait and I had many, I had instances where I caught coyotes, um, no doubt about it. But I also had instances, probably just as many as where I caught coyotes, where the coyotes came in, stole the bait out of the hole, did not step on the trap, did not fire the trap and left. And I'd go back and I'd try to get it a little deeper, I'd rebate, the same thing would happen. I'd go back, I'd rebate. I would add blocking, I would add a tuft of uh, a little bit of sod or something, a root ball or something or sticks in front of the dirt hole to make it harder to get at the set. They'd do the same thing. And so it was an exercise in frustration every morning at some of these locations where they would do this over and over again. I also had another topic, animals coming in from the backsides, uh, behind the backing as well of the dirt holes, uh, another uh, result of not having a deep enough dirt hole. But uh, they would approach from the back in a lot of cases, and uh, there were situations where I probably should have added, I could see fresh tracks coming around the backside, and if I would have added traps to the backside of the hole, I would have made catches. And uh, in a lot of cases, the backside of the hole is actually better than the front side. I'm not sure why exactly. Um, I haven't caught enough uh, fur in, to had enough experiences. I haven't seen enough trail cam footage to be able to make conclusions about that. Um, but I had, in some cases, I had as many approaches from the back side as I had from the front side. So that's something to think about in moving forward with, with coyote trapping is... Um, is getting those holes as deep as you can. If you can't, um, maybe finding other ways to get creative. Maybe you have to have two traps at that set. Um, one other thing I thought about is staking down my baits. So in what I, I was trying to do, uh, small pieces, I couldn't get a, the baits as small as I wanted to because I just didn't take enough time ahead of time to cut them up that small. Um, but using ground meat will help because they got to pick out, you know, little pieces of it. So ground ground bait um, helps a lot. Paste type bait helps, I think. But also um, maybe one big chunk of bait, chunk of meat, and staking it down in the back of the dirt hole would probably help because the animal's got to fight and pull and grab uh, to try and get that out. So those are things that I'm going to experiment with uh, next season and beyond and try to figure figure the whole thing out. The other thing that I had issues with is animals stepping uh, right in beside the trap, inches away from the trap pan and not being caught. So part of it was the having this, the MB-550s is a pretty small target area, so it's something to consider. Um, and then when you only have the pan and, and you get a s relatively small size pan, uh, no pan cover in some cases, it's an even smaller target. But also, um, th there are just issues as far as getting the animal to put its foot where you want it to. And I, I was, uh, I, I tried different things in terms of what I used for blocking, but I was a little bit on the, the, uh, nervous side, if you will, about I, I was afraid to get an animal too reluctant to go in and investigate uh, my set. And so my blocking was often very, very subtle. So I'd use very small rocks, uh, you know, like less than one inch diameter, like half inch diameter type of stuff. And um, I, I don't know as, and, and maybe where I put them in relation to the jaws of the trap or whatever, uh, or the dog, maybe I, I put them a little far out, just trying to be a little conservative, but I did have uh, a number of cases where 
the animals would come in and would step just a few inches from the pan. If I had blocked more heavily and more tightly, uh, I don't know if that would have helped or if more animals might have shied away. I, when in, in cases where I was getting animals stealing the bait, not getting caught, and a lot of times that was the same situation where the, the paw was right next to the pan. Um, in those cases, in a few cases, I actually did block heavier, and then the animal just went around the backside of the set. And so it, it is a kind of a, <laughs> it's a cat and mouse game trying to trying to figure this out. But the, the good thing is when you make the catch, uh, just, just in general, when you make the catch, you don't learn a lot. You made the catch, you're successful. You learn a lot from your misses. Every time you miss an animal, you learn a lot. And it's very frustrating, but I think sometimes you need that frustration for the lesson to kick in and sink in and for you to remember that. And when it happens two, three times in a row in one day, one morning checking traps, it is frustrating, trust me. Uh, the stolen bait and the pattern misses, not much fun. The other thing that I had happen, we had a very heavy rainfall, about close to three inches of rain in one day. Um, in the middle of when I had these traps set out and after the rainfall you know I went and looked everything over and everything looked looked good um, problem well I take that back not everything looked good I was in an area that had very poor soil drainage in in general you know it's it's timberland for a reason if it was really good well-drained soil it might have turned up being farmland back in the 1800s when this area was settled but it's timberland and a lot of clay, a lot of poorly drained soils. And I had areas I tried to set on high ground, but even where I set on high ground after three inches of rain, a very large number of trap beds and dirt holes were full of water, completely full of water. And so in and full and even where I would pound in drain holes, and there was nothing draining. It was not draining out of there. I'd pound two, three, four different drain holes in the trap bed uh, or in the dirt hole, in, in the lip, front of the lip of the dirt hole, and the water still wasn't draining out. Some cases I had, I was able to dig like a little mini ditch out from the where the trap was, trap bed, and the set was up high and kind of get that on the lower ground and drain it out that way. But in general, uh, lots of water, lots and lots of water. Now, in a lot of sets that wasn't really a problem it, but in some it was and I didn't really know the difference and this was a play, situation where I had run out of wax dirt or I was very low in wax dirt I was trying to conserve it and a lot of the sets are just plain old dirt and some of them were dirt that I had found on site um, some were most were dirt I'd carried in but um, some were lit where I had to put a thick layer of dirt above the trap because I had that wire screen pan cover and I, uh, to get that all concealed nicely, I had to get a bunch of dirt over it. Um, but anyway, lots and lots of dirt, lots and lots of water. And I had a string after the next day where I think I had, I'll have to look back, but I had three or four cases where footprints were right on top of the trap pan and the trap did not fire. And I went and fired the traps with sticks, and they fired very slow, and it took a lot of pressure to fire. That is incredibly frustrating, guys. When you have done everything to get the animal there, to get that line running, to get the set in, and everything, scouting ahead of time, and you get all of that culminates and waiting days and days for the animal to come by. Finally, it comes by. It goes where you want it to. It steps right directly where you need it to. And the trap doesn't fire. So I took, uh, I had, I called in work. I said, I for the next day, I said, I'm going to be in around 10, 9, 10 o'clock. And I spent several hours, every single set, I dug out, I drained the trap bed, and I put fresh, dry dirt in, in those sets. In the process of doing that, I noticed probably half of my sets actually were just fine and they would have set off nicely if an animal had stepped on them. Uh, but the other, the remainder of the sets were uh, were acting slow. 
Um, it seemed as though places where I had wax dirt, even though it wasn't frozen, the the uh, wax dirt seemed to repel the water just enough to allow the trap to fire up out of the bed nicer as well. And of course, with areas with less covering over the trap, uh, they seem to uh, operate and function better uh, as well. So I went through all that effort. Is Was it worth it? I don't know. Um, that we got more rain after that, but uh, I, I I feel as though it was worth it, even though it was later in the season and I was getting ready to pull a few days from then. Uh, I do I do feel it was worth the effort and, and a good learning lesson. So always anticipate rain and anticipate what your trap is going to do in that rain. Um, and maybe that's a case where more experience in different soil types, different dirt, different amounts of dirt covering can help uh, or just when you get rain just expect uh, before the next day get out there and get all your sets remade um, if, if you want to make sure uh, that you make catches uh, blending blending your your trap sets that was something that I I felt like I could have done a lot better at and I'm not sure if it affected my catch or not I'm not sure if it affected an animal's willingness to go into the set but I definitely would drive up to my traps and I was checking them and I could tell the trap pattern where uh, where I had brought in my dirt especially after a rain or if you had a little freeze overnight and uh, you could see you could see the area right around the trap pan where the rest of the dirt was dark and that was light because it you know had air under it and it was, it was drier than the rest of the ground and so so that was you know potentially an issue um i blended as much as i could with surrounding material especially the flat sets so i spent a lot of time trying to get the flat sets blended in because you definitely want those to be as blended as natural looking as possible you don't want the animal to know that anything has gone on where the trap is um i used materials or uh around the area but it was hard to get a really well blended set in a lot of cases and if you use dirt around the area if you use too much of it most of our our dirt is wet if you haven't hauled it in northern Maine it's going to be wet because it rains a lot here so I had challenges with that now um, what I have uh, decided is that and what I've discovered kind of later on the season was if I bring two different colors of dirt, I can do a lot of blending that way just by taking dirt of two different colors and using different proportion of them to kind of match up what is the natural color of the ground where I'm setting. And I found that my my sand dirt, my wax dirt, whatever it is that I bring in is relatively light colored. And then I have some peat moss that is dark colored. And so if I bring uh, both my regular dirt and my peat moss and I blend those two together, that can help uh, with blending the set um, and making it kind of uh, look more natural um, for, for, uh, for that animal. So, so blending is something I do need to spend more time on, but I have recognized it as uh, an area uh, to improve. Now that's all fine and good. And that's a lot of learning, uh, a lot of lessons, a lot of kind of things, tips and pointers and stuff to think about. But I didn't talk much about actually catching coyotes. I had a heck of a lot of fun. I had a great time on the line. I was up every morning at 4 o'clock and I was jumping out of bed, you know, on just, just six hours of sleep uh, it, or less. And I was just so excited to check traps every morning. I went to work at the end of checking traps, uh, energized and excited for the next day. It was great. I caught nine coyotes, uh, had some slow days, but I had one really good day, uh, just ahead of a storm, and uh, the the rain really seems to get the coyotes moving. And I had one night that it just actually started raining as I was checking traps. So the storm, the wind was blowing all night, and it was the storm was coming in. Uh, the pressure changed and everything, and that morning I caught four coyotes, um, and that was one heck of a run. That was just awesome. And then I had other situations, other places, other mornings where 
I was frustrated. I got one coyote or two coyotes, and I should have got three or four, uh, based on you know those cases I talked about with uh, trap not firing or an animal stepping close or an animal stealing bait and so on. So, but overall, um, I I had a lot of fun. I made catches and had enough success to really get excited about this coyote trapping and be able to say, yeah, I'm not just a marten trapper or a beaver trapper, you know, and I don't know if I call myself a coyote trapper just yet, but I'm going to be uh, coyote trapping every season now. Um, I don't see a case where I'm not going to be doing that. I think uh, moving forward every year, I'm going to be doing this early fox and coyote trapping, and I will, over the years, get more prepared. I will have all my dirt in line. I'll have more areas scouted. And maybe I'll even run more sets. Maybe I'll run for a little longer time. We'll see. Maybe I'll catch more fur. I'm excited about it. So anyway, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope you picked up a little bit of information from it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Always appreciate you. Appreciate new listeners and old listeners. Remember to email me at jrodwood at gmail.com. J-R-O-D-W-O-O-D at gmail.com with any questions, comments, uh, if you want to get on the podcast and talk trapping, let me know that as well. Um, yeah, so I do have uh, Fur Profit, Trapper's Guide to the Modern Fur Market. That's my book that's out. Please, if you haven't already, pick up a copy of that. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it on trappingtoday.com. Uh, Amazon, they'll ship it to you. Uh, you'll get it quick, uh, really, really quick and easy. Uh, my site that'll ship right from here from my house um, you can also get it from Cots Bros you can get it from Sterling Fur from F&T Fur Harvesters Trading Post and from PCS Outdoors so check that out it's called Fur Profit and it gives you an overview of the market and uh, how to market your fur and different considerations there I also make a long-distance call lure, Trapping Today's long-distance call. Check that out at trappingtoday.com. You can buy a four-ounce bottle for 25 bucks, free shipping. Uh, you can also get it on eBay for the same price. I only have a few left here right now. I probably will make another batch since we're we're only partway through the trapping season. But yeah, check those out. I would really appreciate it, and I appreciate you guys supporting our sponsors. There's, uh, you know, Cots Bros are getting a lot of new customers, and I've heard a lot of good things from people who have made their first orders from Cots Bros. Uh, very, very excited about that, uh, and excited to share th- uh, them and their service and what they do with you guys, with new people, because, uh, you know, I've had so many good experiences with them, and they've treated me really well, so it's great to, uh, to pass that on to you guys. Until next time. Keep on talking trapping, keep on thinking trapping, and we will catch you on the next episode. Go set some traps. Get out there. All right. Thanks, guys.